Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi al-Tahirin Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ala Muhammad wa ajjal farajahum Session number 24 of Stages of Akhlaq in the Qur'an So we have, uh, he moves on, Ayatullah Jawadi, he moves on to a new little chapter and that is the chapter of Muraqaba and Muhasaba. Muraqaba and Muhasaba, um, what they literally mean, Muraqaba means to comes from uh, uh, to be a raqib or raqaba, to have raqaba. Raqaba means neck. And so uh, means to, you know, when you're trying to look at something, supervise something, look over something, you stretch your neck out like this, right? So muraqaba means to look over something, to watch out for something, to have to be diligent towards something. And then muhasaba of course means to calculate, it comes from hisab. You already know these. You've heard we've heard these terms before. So he says right in the beginning, he says that after speaking of riyadha, which was to train the self, now it's time for muraqaba and muhasaba. For a person to look over themselves, to keep an eye on themselves, to be diligent over themselves. And this happens, he says, after you have trained the nafs to an extent to listen to the intellect that understands good from bad. Alright, so the question is, why does this come after that? And this is where I want to explain something a little bit that um, if a person has no control over anything, okay, and just, uh, it's a mess when it comes to wajib and haram, and they are not practicing any riyadah and training themselves, fighting against themselves a little bit, resisting those carnal haram desires, having muraqaba is going gonna, is gonna to be pointless. Let me explain what I mean. Okay, so you have, let's say you have a land that's pretty flat, right? And then there are some bumps in that land. All right, so I can identify those bumps, all right? Because every like, I don't know, half a mile, every quarter of a mile, there's one or two bumps. Okay, I can identify. There's a bump here, there's a bump there, okay? But if you have a terrain that is all bumps, all hills, there's no point in trying to watch out for a bump or two here and there. It's all bumps. <laughs> you have we have a big problem here, correct? So muraqaba won't make too much sense here in this context. I am watching out to make sure like nothing goes wrong. It's all bumps, Habib, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, it's you know what, I'll give you an example. I remember this like 20 years ago. Um, I, think, uh, I think we were moving or we had to rent a car or something. And when they were giving us the car, or excuse me, oh, now I remember, they were taking uh, my car we were moving from one state to another from my dad's work. And so my car, they were also going to take it and move it to wherever we were going without us having to drive it. So they were going to kind of like, you know, tow it or whatever, move it. Now, the company came and started noting the scratches on the car. It took about two hours for him to note everything because it was all scratches. <laughs> you couldn't find a spot on it that wasn't scratched. So this guy is spending, I'm like, really, are you really going to like record every single dent and scratch on this thing? And we lived in a place where there was no hail, by the way. This is not hail related, all right? 
So you have to point out where there are where it's still sound, the car is still sound and unscratched, not record all the scratches on it, you know? What's the point of it? We got bigger issues here to worry about. So it's kind of like that. Muraqaba makes sense, it seems, according to what he's saying here when he's bringing it after Riyadha. And then he says it comes after Riyadha. It seems that it'll be pointless to have Muraqaba when it's all a mess to begin with. You need to we need to clean up first a little bit, learn to fight ourselves a little bit, and then the, the point comes where now I can keep an eye on things and try to monitor things. Um, yeah, so that's muraqaba, to keep an eye, monitor. Then muhasaba, we all know what that means too probably. Muhasaba comes from reckoning to calculate things. What you do is, since you've got some things under control and you can notice some bumps in the terrain, at the end of the day, at night, whenever, you will go over what you have observed throughout the day of mistakes that might have been made, of wrongdoings and sin or whatever. And so you calculate. Now these greats, what they do is they will, they will run the good against the bad and see how much each one was and whether that was a good day or a bad day in the end. Now of course for them it's a little different than us or, for, or different than me. For me it's sins versus obedience. For them it's other things. Less obedience versus more obedience, maybe. I don't know. Less ibadah versus more ibadah. I don't know. But hisab, muhasaba will come after a person can do muraqaba. If you're, not, if you're not taking care of things throughout the day and watching over things throughout the day, then doing muhasaba at night's not going to make sense either. It's like, it's like a person who lets go of keeping record of all expenses that they've had throughout the year. Yeah no receipts, nothing. And then what do they want to do? At the end of the year, they want to have an easy time like doing their taxes, for example. Yeah, a person who keeps receipts, who keeps tabs on things, keeps record of things, um, you know, the funds coming in, funds going out, etc. They will, on, on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, a monthly basis, for them doing taxes at the end of the year is going to be easy. Or else it's going to be very, very difficult if it even is possible. So muhasaba makes sense if a person does muraqaba throughout the day. And muraqaba makes sense if someone does the bare minimum at least of making sure that there is not a mess in their life of sins, yes? So these will come one after another. Riyadha, then muraqaba, then muhasaba. Just to illustrate the uh, importance of muraqaba a little more, there's this little thing I saw once years ago um, that I found very inspirational. Going back to exercise and bodybuilding and stuff like that. Um, now back then, uh, there was this guy, his name was Jay Cutler. He was uh, pretty famous. And uh, he was always winning first place or close to first place in these uh, bodybuilding contests, okay? So they were interviewing him and a few other of these bodybuilders the ones that I said before that I wish they would spend that, that, type, uh, that time and dedication they have for irfan, for spiritual growth instead of bodily growth. But anyway, they show us that even if you spend time on bodily growth, you'll get there. All right, so 
they're asking them, interviewing them about their uh, their um, their diets, okay, and how many calories they're taking in per day, etc. This guy, Jay Cutler, who's always winning the contest every year, what does he do? He says, I measure everything by the gram before I put it in my body. When you measure things by the gram, what happens is you have a good idea, a very accurate idea of how many calories that is and all that kind of stuff. If you're really trying to um, reach that point where that you can go on stage with, with such a body, right? Okay. Then they ask the other guy. This other guy, you always see him training hard. I forgot his name, by the way. Always training hard, always really destroying himself, just like everyone else in, in the gym. <laughs> but when they asked him about his diet, how it works with him, he said, I just look at it and I know how much it's going to be. Well, that's why you're losing every year. <laughs> that's muraqaba. Now, muraqaba in a physical context, right? In a bodily context, not a spiritual one. So the more, the more precise you get, the more results you will yield. To the point that there are, muraqaba reaches a point of just, just these arafah, some of them, you, you read about them, that they are doing muraqaba from remembering other than Allah. And so like for example, Ayatullah Hassan Zada Amuli in that book that I've mentioned before, Insan Dar Urfi Irfan, in that book, he talks about how his disclosures and mukashafat were clearer, now whatever that means, and were better when he had more muraqaba throughout the day. For him, muraqaba doesn't mean to watch out that he doesn't sin throughout the day. For him, it's just you know keeping that focus on things. Now, everyone has to live their life, but to live your life with the, keeping the focus as well. Him keeping that focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala throughout the day, a person who's already taken care of the wajib and haram, by the way, and maybe more than that even. This is not for you and I, unless we've reached that point. Inshallah you have, I haven't. That you will keep your mind focused on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whenever you can. He says, the more muraqaba I had, the more my mukashafat were better and clearer, etc. Yeah, so that's how important this is. It reaches a point where I've said this before, it's as if everything is either wajib on you or haram on you. You don't have mustahab, makruh, mubah anymore. Ayatullah Misbah used to say this, I remember. Now, for going back, coming back down to earth and talking about muraqaba when it comes to wajib and haram, a condition of that we have to remember is one thing. And that is that we have an understanding of what the wajib and haram of Allah are. You can't expect to do muraqaba and then muhasaba after if you don't have knowledge of the wajib and haram of Allah. So sometimes you'll see this, right? You will see there are people who sometimes even attend very spiritual dhikri gatherings, etc. And you know they're really into it. But then this person, just looking at them, sometimes you can tell that some of the wajibat, some of the harams are, are not being observed. Well, how does this work then? How are we going to get anywhere? with whatever we're doing, if we're not even aware of the basic wajib and harams. And this is the scary part that we have to be careful about because there are cults out there, there are ideologies out there that the sharia is not too important. What matters is tariqah. Alright? 
the spiritual path is what's important, and having that feeling, and versus worrying about quote unquote the crust of the faith. While when we go to our ulama who are also urafa, what do they say? They say to get to the core, you have to go through the crust. You ha you cannot ever compromise on the sharia. Yes, the sharia is not the ultimate goal for them, but they say if the sharia is compromised, the basic wajib and haram is not taken care of then how are we going to get to the core of things? As a matter of fact, it's just a spiritual high we're attaining and before you know it, it's going to diminish. Yeah, it's not enduring. That's why you know I always give the treadmill example. The treadmill is as boring as anything, but it's, the, it's what yields the most results if a person is persistent yes, and continues to do it versus others who might do things then let go and all of that. Yeah, so this condition for muraqaba is very, very important. And even before muraqabah, when we're just even cleaning up the mess that we might have in our lives, when it comes to sins, we have to learn those. Once we learn them, applying them properly, then muraqabah makes sense. Alright, so that is, he does go on to say some other things about muraqabah, but I don't feel like we need to go into those too much because they're not too relevant uh, to the muraqabah aspect. Just a couple of verses that he mentions yeah for this or excuse me this is a hadith in Nahj al-Balagha he quotes uh, for the importance of muraqaba and to do hisab and muhasaba the famous line that uh, Imam Ali says ibadallah zinu anfusakum min qabli an tuzanu zinu comes from wazn it's an it's an amr verb right so zinu Weigh yourselves out before they start weighing you out. Right? On the scales in Yawmul Qiyamah. Wahasibuha. Hasibu is also a command. Do muhasaba. Hasibu anfusako min qabli an tuhasabu. Before you are done hisab for. So do hisab for yourself before they do hisab. For. In other words, before they do hisab for you. In other words, <laughs> an example would be, do, file your taxes properly before the IRS comes after you and does it for you, and then also slaps onto that, uh, all these um, penalties. Yeah, that's exactly how it is. Thank you IRS for giving us a taste of akhirah and yamul hisab. <laughs> Alright. So that's muraqab and muhasab. But then he moves on. So, let me go back and just an overview again. So we were talking about, we were, uh, the, the general concept we were dealing with was removal of the barriers, removal of mawani' um, of a person that is wayfaring towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He moves on to the last one that he's going to cover before he goes into other things. And that is taqwa itself. And he wants to talk about that. This might take a few sessions. So what did we have before? We had muraqaba, muhasaba, riyada. What else did we have? My uh, memory is not too strong. We've had, let me see. Zuhud, very good. Tauba, these were the ones, correct? Alright. So the fifth one he says is taqwa. So taqwa, it comes from wiqaya. Wiqaya means to protect oneself. 
Okay? So what does it mean when it comes to protecting yourself from Allah? It means very simple. Don't do anything to get on Allah's nerves. Very simple. I don't know what the big deal is. So they will translate taqwa to fear of God, God conscience, I don't know, little flashy stuff like that. Or whatever you want to use, fine. But it comes from wiqaya to protect yourself. Oh, but we don't want to make it sound like we're scared of Allah. Well, don't be scared of Allah. Be scared of your own actions. Whatever. But you got to be scared of something. When you're protecting yourself, there is going to be somewhat of a fear to begin with, I would say. This is how I see it at least. And so it's fine. We're going to be protecting ourselves from something. You want to say from Allah? That's fine. You protect yourself from Allah. But what, what of Allah are you protecting yourself from? The wrath of Allah, let's say. But some might say, no, taqwa means to protect yourself from disobedience. Okay, fine, whatever. Yes, to be able to protect yourself, you have to be God conscious. I agree. You have to be God conscious if you want to protect yourself from Allah. So that's why some people might say, I will translate it to God conscience. Yeah. But all in all, it'll come down to me being careful not to do anything to be able to be held accountable by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be subject to His wrath. Khalas. That's how I'm going to define it. Alright, but then he says, there are three pillars to this taqwa. Three pillars. Number one, now see, he doesn't cut, uh, he doesn't beat around the bush here. He says, number one is fear of Allah. The first pillar of Taqwa is fear of Allah. Now Ayatollah Jawadi says this based on Muhaqqiq Tusi's book, Awsaf al Ashraf, that this whole book is based on. Ayatollah Jawadi's book is based on fear of Allah. At Tusi says this, Ayatollah Jawadi also has no problem with it and he repeats it. He says it is fear of Allah. That's the th- first pillar to Taqwa. Second pillar to Taqwa is to refrain from sin. To refrain from sin. So one can say taqwa is a form of riyada and training oneself. If you remember Imam Ali in Nahj al Balagha, what did he say? He said, Wa innama hiya nafsi aruduha taqwa. That this is my nafs, how do I train it? I train it and give it a workout with what? With taqwa. So Riyadha and taqwa are going to always be intertwined. Now, why is he separated them from each other? Because he has a lot more to say here, okay? But for now, they are very similar and close to each other, at least practically speaking, not theoretically. To refrain from sin, number two. And then the third pillar is seeking nearness to Allah through all of this. Now, I want to explain this a little bit. I want to talk about this a little, a little bit. Let me see here. This third pillar where it says that whatever we're doing of refraining from sin and all of that, he says we need to do it with the intention of getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to explain this a little bit because someone might say, well, duh, of course, that's why we're refraining from sin, right? No. There's something that, a question that came to my mind personally when I was back in the day, and I asked this from one of these greats. The question I had was this, that if I'm sitting at home, I'm not sinning, but I'm not paying attention to the fact that I'm not sinning, or I'm not paying attention to the fact that 
this is something that Allah wants from me. Because look, refraining from sin, is it action or lack of action? You could say it's a lack of action, right? You, a lack of doing something haram, correct? That's what it is. So it might be inaction. When you have inaction, it might not make sense for some people to think that, okay, well, what kind of intention am I supposed to have, right? But lots of times, no, it'll be actually something you're actively doing. When you, there's something out there you're supposed to stay away from or turn away from or not listen to or not see, you're actually turning away from that thing. So I would say it's action, not necessarily always lack of action. But let's just say it's even lack of action, okay? This is the point I want to make here. And here Ayatollah Jawadi speaks about it too. But it was a question I had back then, I asked this. I said, what if somebody just stays away from haram but isn't even paying attention to the fact they're, they're staying away from haram? Is that going to help them in their growth spiritually and getting closer to Allah? The answer was no. Way back in your mind, somewhere it has to be that I'm doing this, I'm staying away from this haram for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you're not paying any attention at all, yes, you're not going to be punished on the Day of Judgment because you didn't commit haram, that's true. And it's better, it's better than nothing for sure, without a doubt. And especially when we're younger, this is enough, I would say. This is enough for me to just not be committing haram, that's wonderful. But if you want to take it a step further, even you know, in a subtle way, one way or another, in the back of your mind, you'll be staying away from haram because you know that this is something that gets you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fact that you don't disobey Him. All right? And that's what he says here as well, Ayatullah Jawadi. He says you pay attention to why you're refraining from sin. Not that, once again, not that you every single time have to, even if there's a haram that's just in passing that you're staying away from, I have to remind myself, that's why I'm staying away from it. No. Even if it's become second nature for you, you know in the back of your mind that you're staying away from haram for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah? Or because He said so. Or because you want to stay away from Jahannam. Even that much is good. Versus being totally oblivious. Right? Make the most of an opportunity when a haram is coming up and you're staying away from it. Oh Allah, I'm doing this for you. There have been cases like these. Like in the story of, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, Rajab Ali Khayyat his name was. Hajj Rajab Ali Khayyat. There's a book on him in English, although I do not necessarily recommend that that is read by everyone because not everything in there is for the, the, the masses. Right? These greats, sometimes they would do certain things. Now he wasn't an alim, by the way. He was a normal person. Uh, sometimes they will have their way of doing things, although they're great figures, but it doesn't apply to others. And when people read their books, they might think that it applies to them. But anyway, this Rajab Ali Khayyat, a haram comes up once when he was, I think, younger. And if I remember correctly, he says, he has a little dialogue with Allah in that moment. He says, oh Allah, I'm going to stay away from this for you. And kind of like, let me see what you're going to do for me. Right? Now, it worked there for him. It's not going to always work. It's not like the moment you stay away from a haram, now you're going to wait for like to see some angel or something. No. But with him, it worked. And it was maybe it was a very hard test that he went through that he passed. And he had in his mind, he had in his heart, Oh Allah, I'm doing this for you. You know, I'm having your back now. Inshallah, you have my, inshallah, or in shit, you have my back. Yeah. And so some things happened for him after that that are very cool. Cool spiritually speaking. So 
what I'm trying to say here is that he had that little dialogue with him. And so this is why I would say Ayatollah Bahjad says that the best dhikr is dhikr amali. That we've talked about this before. I've mentioned this story again and again to you. The best dhikr and remembrance of Allah is a dhikr amali, practical dhikr. What is practical dhikr? He says, he says the only way to attain it is through constantly observing the wajib and haram. Why? This is my explanation now. Because when you, every, every single thing that comes up of harams, of wajibat, you speak to yourself, you make, you, you make a deal with yourself that I'm going to stay away from this because Allah said so, that is remembering Allah in practice. Practical dhikr is stronger than just verbal dhikr with the tasbih. Right? It's, it's stronger. It hammers things into your soul much stronger than just a verbal dhikr. When I stay away from a haram, although it's hard for me, that might do more work than a thousand la ilaha illallahs that I say with a tasbih, with a subhan. Yeah. This is what Ayatollah Bahjad is saying, and try, trust me, try it, you'll see. That, that little compass needle in your heart will slowly turn to Allah because you're telling yourself practically Allah is more important. Instead of saying Allah is more important, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allah, La ilaha illallah, I will only worship Allah, I will only obey Allah, and then you obey your nafs <laughs> when the time comes. So verbally you're remembering Allah, but practically you're going against it. When you practically remember Him by doing these wajib and harams, yeah, that is going to do much more work for you. So all of this is just to, sh to illustrate that how having this in mind has its effect to the point that this one of those greats that I asked personally, I said, what if you just obliviously just staying away from haram, nothing, you know, it's not, you're not, it's not even crossing your mind that Allah is part of the equation, part of the picture. His answer, his answer was, no, that's not going to work actually. Yeah, it's not like you're going to be held, you're going to be punished on the Day of Judgment, no, because you didn't commit haram. But at the end of the day, if you really want to grow, that's going to, that's going to make a difference right there. Alright, having said all of this, uh, to end today, he mentions four grades of taqwa, and I don't know what else he's going to mention in ensuing chapters, um, but for now, or, yeah, or ensuing segments of this chapter of taqwa, but for now he has four grades that he mentions um, for taqwa. Number one, he says, Sometimes a person has taqwa, stays away from haram so that he can gain honor in the eyes of people. He says, we're not even going to talk about this. This is a riyah, doesn't even count. We're, we're, you know, it's beyond the, the scope of the discussion even. It's outside of the scope. But then there are some who will do or have, will practice taqwa um, because they want to become aziz in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, this is great. But this is the beginning of the path or the middle of the path. Then, he says there are some, I, I don't even know how he thought of these things, Ayatollah Jawadi. Look at number three and number four. He says number three, there are some who will, they know that by practicing taqwa, they are going to be aziz in Allah's eyes. They know that's going to happen anyway, but that's not the goal for them. So once again, 
Some, the eyes of the people is what matters. Forget that, we're not going to talk about that. Number one. Number two, there are some who do it so they become Aziz in Allah's eyes. They don't care about the people. So this is good, but it's not the best, he says. There are some who will do it knowing that they're going to become Aziz anyway, but they're not doing it to become Aziz in Allah's eyes. That's group number three. He says this is also good. <laughs> but then he says there are some, it just reaches a point that becoming Aziz, not only is it not their matloob, something that they're after actively, but it is not their ma'loom anymore either. That they even know it's going to happen, although they're not after it. Look at that. Look at that. So, group number one, riyah. Forget them. <laughs> Put them aside. It's a waste of time to even talk about that. Group number two, it is their matloob. It is their goal to become aziz in Allah's eyes. Group number three, it's not even their matloob, but it's their ma'loom. They know it's going to happen. It's not their goal, but they know it's going to happen anyway. Okay? Group number four not, is not their ma'loom and it's not their matloob. None of these. It is none of these for them. Alright? For them, they're beyond all of these. And it's just Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're just doing it because Allah, Allah, that's all. Allah, Allah. They don't even care. Now, um, this is a, it might sound funny, like, you know, like, have you shut your brain off? No, they're kind of in love. And because they're in love, this is happening. Right? I'll give you an example, okay? This is also kind of funny, but it's there. In that book, The Liberated Soul, which once again, this is also a book that I don't, I don't recommend people to read, usually. Um, it's funny, I was speaking to one of the brothers that's involved in uh, book publishing and stuff. He was telling me that, yeah, I don't even recommend it to people either. He, although it's good business for him if he sells it, but he says, I don't even recommend it. Because there, once again, there are things in there, and I say these on purpose, so that we can keep an eye out. Just because a person is a great individual, doesn't necessarily mean everything that they did applies to us. I keep repeating this for a reason. And some of my senior colleagues, they would say this all the time, that just because a person has reached a certain level of spiritual growth, doesn't necessarily mean they have what it takes to take your hand and also take you there. This is super important. Because you see this, people will come around others and uh, sit in their presence and benefit from them. But that person, they don't have bad intentions necessarily. Of course they don't. They don't know what this person needs right now. And they will give them instructions that they shouldn't. And it causes bigger problems. I've seen this again and again, at least in my humble opinion, in my very uh, humble and worthless opinion. Um, yeah, so anyway, this is the book Liberated Soul. There's some details in there. When you read it, you don't know what's going on exactly. You feel like you're missing out on a lot. And that, you know, um, you need to learn about this stuff more while, no, let's clean up the wajib and haram first and then we can talk inshallah about other things. Alright, so in that book though, Ayatollah uh, Muhammad Hussein Taharani, his name is, he says that, he, he, 
He narrates a story about his teacher, this Alama, uh, excuse me, this Sayyid Hashim al-Haddad, which this book is about, Liberated Soul is about, in which they're on a bus going for ziyarat or something. This is Iraq, and there's like five people, including Sayyid Hashim Haddad. So the the guy that you know, those of you who've you know gone on the bus back in the day, 10, 15, 20 years ago, is like this. Now everything's automated. Everything's online. You do it. Uh, you, you know, you you get your tickets online. Back then, you would get on the bus and they would come and take tickets from you or you would pay right there, right? Yeah, the older ones are nodding their heads. <laughs> so, uh, not just you brother, the other ones in the back. <laughs> so, even me too, the same thing. Those were the good days actually. Um, so, the guy, the, 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 the guy that they're driving the bus and then his, uh, the other one that's, uh, so usually there's a bus driver and then in Farsi we say his shagird. What's shagird in English? Yes, huh? The collector, okay, <laughs> which was usually a younger guy with no experience, and he's like learning how to, you know, how this whole thing works of, of you know, doing the bus business and driving business. So he would come and collect the tickets or get the money if you don't have tickets. So it says that Sayyid Hashim, we were sitting with him in the bus, and because he was so annihilated in the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when this collector came to him and said, okay, how many are you guys? What's your group number? How many are in your group? He said, four. He's like, okay, who are they? He says, one, two, three, and four. They're in my group. He said, okay, so you're five people. Give me five tickets. Because you yourself are one of them, right? Said Hashem, you're one of them. And so, uh, uh, Said Hashem is like, no, no, it's four of them. He's like, no, no, what about you? He's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> now, he's forgetting himself because Said Hashem, that's how he was. He would, he would totally had forgotten about himself. It's as if he didn't exist. He's like, no, one, two, three, واحد, اثنين, ثلاثة, أربعة, شو خمسة. Now, I don't want anyone else to go on the bus and try to pull something like this off. <laughs> and be like, I'm annihilated in Allah's existence. No, they're going to annihilate, annihilate you. <laughs> right? so, but with him, it's an interesting story that some people reach this point where their existence, as if, is absorbed in Allah's existence, is they have really reached the point where they don't feel themselves being there anymore as if. So, I don't know, one person will hear this, they'll find it, you know, just totally irrational. Another person will know what this is all about. I'm just uh, sharing the story with you in that book. So, going back to these four stages here, or four grades of taqwa, some will do it for others. That is just, you know, we don't even have to talk about that. Some, their matloob is izza and being aziz in Allah's eyes. Some, it's not their matloob, it is their ma'loom though, they know it's going to happen. Some, it's not matloob or ma'loom. For them, they're just, they're just so absorbed in Allah that they are continuing this path without even remembering that these are some of those incentives. They're oblivious to those things. And uh, there are more than, there are many stories in this regard that we, you know, we don't have time for. So these are, this, is the, this is where we're going to stop inshallah, but there are more things that he talks about in regards to taqwa that we'll pick up inshallah in our next session. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.